You're listening to the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast with Nola Heal. Nola has over 30 years of experience in financial and operations management for companies around the world. As a part-time CFO, she's dedicated to working with businesses of all sizes to create sustainable growth and amplify strategy. John Cuomo is a firefighter, paramedic and author. With over 24 years as a firefighter, he is passionate about the fire and police communities and the service they provide. In his career, he served as a firefighter, driver engineer, lieutenant and captain, and also stepped up as EMS chief, battalion chief and training chief. The principles covered in his book, Leadership Refined by Fire, A Firefighter's Guide to Develop Leadership Skills, Motivate and Inspire Others, and Develop Exceptional Care for the Public, start with self-reflection in all areas and are used to improve firefighting skills, deliver exceptional service to their customers, and lead a successful crew. The skills discussed and learned can be used in business, politics, and everyday life to improve oneself and your leadership ability. Welcome, John. Thank you very much for joining us today. You are a retired member of a well-respected profession and one you really loved. You were a firefighter and have now written a book to guide people in all areas of business and firefighting become better leaders. Can you perhaps take us back with some background beyond your bio? What got you started? Well, thank you, Nola, so much for letting me be here with you. I really appreciate it and I'm looking forward to uh, speaking with you uh, and and your audience. you know, I have a very different uh, interaction with the fire or introduction with the fire service than most people. You always hear about these kids that grew up, always wanted to be a firefighter, and they couldn't wait to get there. I wasn't that child. I didn't know much about the fire service. Um, you, I just saw them. Uh, you know, they would drive down the street. I knew they took care of fires, and that's all I ever knew. Um, in fact, uh, as a fire department, we do a lot of interaction with the medical. We do all the medical here in Florida and a lot of other places in America. They do all the, I was a paramedic as well. And uh, I didn't even know you could call 911 as a paramedic. I'd been hit by a car twice. I got my leg ripped open by a dog. I knocked my, I was knocked unconscious, got stitches in my head nine times. And yet not one time did we ever call 911. So I had no, no idea about the fire service, but I was doing uh, in the construction business in Florida. I'd moved from Brooklyn, New York to Florida, and I was in the construction business. Uh, When I was in high school, I would get out and work in the construction business. And then when I finished high school, I went right into it. And my goal was to become an electrician and own my own electrical company. But the state of Florida in in the early 90s hit a recession, and that hit the construction business really hard. And I came from a pretty good sized family and being Italian, I think it's a family thing. I always wanted, I wanted eight kids. So I wanted this giant family and, and I knew I couldn't support myself. The, the, the firm that I worked for, we grew from about eight employees to 25 or 26. And then during the recession, it went down to just four. And then I was only the working four days a week. We had no health insurance. And I said to myself, there's no way I can have a family and do this, uh, what happens if down the line we have another recession? So I started applying at like government jobs, uh, the post office, the electric company, the phone companies, all those different places um, that had benefits and solid work. And I would always ask people in those fields, how do you like the job? How do you like the job? Because I was just a kid. 
everybody hated their jobs except mm. when i asked firefighters every time i would ask a firefighter how do you like job they always loved it so that was one of the places i applied and i applied in a city called delray beach i i i went through the written test and then the physical and i made it to the oral interview and they asked me some questions and they said to me at the time we really like you but you have to go get certifications because i knew nothing about the fire service so they said go get your certifications and come back and we'll hire you so i didn't even know what they were talking about i went downstairs to the firehouse and i asked them what what does that mean after get certifications and they said well you have to go to school and become an emt and a firefighter uh the, the two different schools and then you'll have your certification so i applied and I got in, that's kind of a long story, uh, uh, but I, anyway, I got in. And when I hit the Fire Academy NOLA, I absolutely fell in love. Oh. I knew that moment, this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. It was, I, I can't explain it to you. It was, this was the greatest thing I could ever do. That's Helping so awesome. serve people, all the different things that we would do. I just absolutely fell in love. There was nothing that was going to stop me. This was my one and only direction I was going to go from then on. And so that's what I did. I pursued that. It was a very difficult time to get hired. Uh, it was a very competitive job. It took about two and a half years for me to get in. You would go, I would go to different departments all over and compete, and they would be hiring one, two, maybe three people. And you were there wow. with a thousand, four thousand, five thousand people competing. So I finally got in, and that was it. That was the rest of my career. I, you know, I loved it. And um, and as far as what made me decide to write the book. Early on in the book, I bring out one of the points. Um, we responded to a call very early in my career, within the first couple of years of my career. Uh, something came up on the beach. Now, mm. the island that I served had 13 miles of beachfront. So wow. we were constantly responding to calls of things that came up on the beach, washed up on the beach. So it wasn't an unusual occurrence. It didn't. It always seemed to be something simple, a barrel, an oil barrel, or some other kind of junk that would come up. So we weren't really super excited. And when we pulled up, my lieutenant didn't really want to get out of the, the truck. He said, John, go down the run down the beach and see what it is. So I was a new guy. I ran down the beach, me and my partner. And I put, walk up on this. The crowd is standing right there. And I squeezed through the crowd. And all of a sudden, it's a missile on the beach. Wow yeah it, and so now my stomach drops and people are looking at me like okay what are we going to do i'm looking around like i don't know what to do so i just get on the radio and i call my officer my lieutenant and i say uh, i think it's a missile it looks like a missile and he's like uh john you're an idiot there's not a <laughs> missile on the beach you know just find out what is maybe and i'm like uh lieutenant it really looks like a missile uh you need to come here so he finally makes his way down but before that i'm trying to figure out how to take care of all the people that are standing around what am i supposed to do they're looking to me so early on i recognized that just being in the fire service it didn't matter what qualification you had whether you were a firefighter a lieutenant a captain a chief just being there the crowd is looking to you you have to solve the problem Right. And I was unaware of what to do. So I knew right then and there I needed to get more help. Um, and then I began to see how the officer really affects not only the lives of the customers that we serve, but us individually, those of us that have to listen to them. So I recognized that there was a great need 
for uh, knowledge and how to lead individuals. Mm. So I immediately began to study. And as I bring out in the book, I studied in every facet you can imagine, not just the fire tactics, which were important on how to put fires out, how to read smoke, ventilate, do rescue, all those normal things, but also how to lead people, you know, how to handle a difficult employee. What type of personality should you have? And then I, I read the, you know, leaders like great presidents, great military leaders and commanders, mm. civil rights leaders in every facet you could imagine, philosophers, psychiatrists. I took all that information through the years and I, I brought it together. And then about 15 years ago, I started putting pieces together to write a book. And because and, I noticed there were a lot of other people that wanted to learn similar things. And that's really what got me uh, into that scenario there. Oh, that's pretty awesome. So a lot of what you identify in the book is the qualities of a really good leader. What, what are some of the ones that you do consider to be primary skills that people ideally should have in leadership roles like that? You know, initially, Nola, when I was writing it, I noticed there was a difference in the fire service, people would always talk about, are you a good manager or are you a good leader? Okay. Because people could dot the I's and cross the T's. And I saw, I worked for individuals that were incredible managers. They had the paperwork down and there's a ton of paperwork in the fire service. And then there were leaders that people would follow. And, and the others would identify the difference by saying, if people will follow you off a cliff, then you're a good leader. Right. But, that you can't be a good leader and a manager at the same time. I, I kind of recognize that it was very different. I say to me, you could be a great manager, but not necessarily a great leader, but you cannot be a great leader without being a great manager. You have to be. And the reason why I say that is because, yes, there are individuals in the fire service, in any service, really, that people mm -hmm. will follow, right? And what good is it if they follow you off a cliff? Does that make you a good leader? You know, I, there are people that can lead you in the wrong direction just because individuals look to them and say, hey, they must be in charge. It doesn't make them right. And I would say sometimes just wait until one day you file for workers' comp, you get hurt, or your family suffers because your so-called leader didn't file the right paperwork for you. Mm -hmm. And now you're suffering. Now what do you think of that leader? Just because they, you follow them into a fire doesn't make them a good leader. So to me, an all-around good leader always does the right thing. Always. So, yes, there is a lot of paperwork sometimes in the fire service. There's a lot of emails and all that other stuff that nobody likes. Right. But you know what? If you're going to lead a crew, if you're going to really take care of that crew, you have to make sure that you do all the things that are right. And you set that example that you're doing all those things that are right so that they follow that as well. So I would say always doing the right thing is one of them. Another one that I really think is very big and sometimes gets muddled in the water is caring about the employee, mm -hmm. caring about those you lead. Now, <clears throat> I remember uh, there's a story about my dad, you know, when I first made officer, my dad was telling me, you know, he was a he's a police officer, a New York City police officer. Uh, his he did his career there. And he said to me, John, you, you're going to have to separate yourself now. You're one of the lead officers. You can't be with the crew. And and I, I remember telling him, I said, Dad, you know, that's different in the police department. You guys work separately. We're a family. 
You have to be close as a family. And there's pros and cons to that. I learned that in my opinion, I don't want to separate myself from the crew. I did want to be caring about them, but you also have to have some separation. So when I say care about them, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to dinner with them all the time and you have to be best friends with them. But what you do need to do is care about the uh, trajectory of their career. Mm. How are they doing each day? Do they know their job skills? Um, are they being affected by mental health, by the issues that we see, the things that we see? Oh, yeah. Do they have goals in the fire service? How can I help them achieve their goals? Are they reaching out to be a successful, whatever position they want to be, driver, firefighter, officer? Those are the things. When you, when you show that care for those that you lead, they, they draw themselves to you. And they want to do the things that you want to do. So I would say those are some of the things. Always setting the example. Always doing the right thing. You know, caring very much for the employee or those that you lead. And humility is another big one. You know, um, there's uh, at the end of Martin Luther King's speech, one of his speeches, I guess he was asked, what uh, would you like for people to say about you? And he and he says something to the effect, I would like for them to say that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life in the service of others. And that remark always amazed me. Here's Martin Luther King Jr. saying about himself that he tried to give his life in the service. That's all this man did. I mean, yeah. can anyone else say they did more than he did? He did everything he could in the service of others, including in the ultimate giving up his life for that. Yet his humility was, he was saying, I'd like to say for people to say that I tried to do that. Tried. Yeah. yeah. And, and this is a great leader. This is a man that to this day, people try to follow the things he says and does. And yet he exuded that humility about himself. Yeah. So I think that's another important point right there. No, makes a lot of sense. I mean, he obviously felt that his work would never be done and he could potentially always do more. So he right. was trying to, to. Now, in caring for the team, um, in fact, in all of those qualities, in order to be a really great leader, um, you comment that you feel the leaders need to always try to go above and beyond, not just do their job and do their job really well, um, but actually go beyond what is required. How do you think this contributes to the value of your team, your crew and the fire service? I, I would say, Nola, in two ways. First off, it shows the value of what we're doing. Now, I, I don't mean to demean anyone's job by saying what I'm, I'm about to say, but in the fire service, you're dealing with people's lives. Right. This is their ultimate thing. When everyone so, someone calls 911, it means that something has overwhelmed them to the point mm. that they can't handle it, that their life is in disarray or in chaos, or there is no way out for them, at least that they don't know of. So here right. you come right now to save the day. This is something you want to give all to, you know, it's not, yeah. you know, you want to give the kind of service where that you're giving that person everything they possibly need. Let me give you an example. As a paramedic, every single year, we were given a book on uh, protocols. So 
I come upon somebody and they say to me, I'm having chest pain. Now, mm-hmm. there's 10 different directions that that can go in. I have to find yes. out what brought on the chest pain. I have to put an EKG on and read the EKG to see what the heart's doing. Um, what kind of history do they have? Are they on any kind of medications? All different things like that. If I don't know above and beyond my job so that I can handle the entire scope from A to Z, I'm going to miss something on that individual. It's a very likely. And sometimes you get a call two or three o'clock in the morning. And if I don't know it all right then and there, I have the potential to actually harm that individual and maybe harm them permanently. Yes. So I think by going above and beyond, it shows those that you lead that our job is essential. You're affecting people and affecting them forever. And you should always look at it with that high golden standard that this is the kind of service I want to give. The second area I would say is it says to them that this is the type of leadership that you believe in. Now, you're leading them, right? So if if I'm looking up to you and you're my leader and I think that you're lazy, you don't really mm-hmm. care that much. I see that you lie on certain things, you know. I know that you're going to do the same thing to me. When push comes to shove, you're going to drop the ball on me or you're going to lie to me about certain things. But if I know that you abide by this high standard of always trying to do this right thing above and beyond, then I know when you're speaking to me as a leader that that's what you believe. That's who you are. And I know that I can trust you and I can follow you. That's pretty awesome. So... To be a leader must at times in in the fire service or anywhere realistically, um, at times gets to be really hard. I mean, there may be directives one doesn't agree with or situations that you would prefer to do something different or go in the opposite direction. Now, I would think in the fire service, it's pretty important to to consistently follow the instructions, whether you agree with them or not. But how does one manage to do that? How do you find it in yourself to just persevere? Well, I think, again, it it depends on when you look inside to see who you are and what type of leader you want to be. Um, So I talk about in the book that in order to be a great leader, you also have to be a good follower. Mm-hmm. Because as you said, we all have, even the chief of the fire department has a boss. You know, his boss is the town manager. The town manager's boss are the people that vote. You know, the, there's a boss. Yes. Everyone has one. So everyone has to follow directives. And certainly in the fire service, directives come downhill that we don't like. There's mm-hmm. certainly things. Um, because you're responsive to the city uh, officials, the political officials, and sometimes politics gets involved. You're responsive to the residents and sometimes individual residents have quirks about them that they want certain things done. So you have to do certain things that you don't like. Now, outside of, and again, I address this in the book also, outside of doing something that's um, against the human rights, dignity, outside of that, that you never follow. You never mm-hmm. do something that's going to harm someone. So let's put that piece aside. Let's just say it's a, it's a directive that we just isn't a popular one that we don't want to follow. Well, you know what? We have a job to do. Who wants to run into a fire? You know what I mean? Who wants to run into a fire when it's blazing hot? You have a chance to get injured, but it's your job. You have to do that. And this should be a part of your job. A directive comes down and you know, okay, this isn't a popular directive, but we're going to make it happen. 
Now I've watched officers do both ways. I've watched mm-hmm. officers complain about it. I've watched them say things like just play the game, just play the game or do it when they're around, pretend to do it, things like that. But all you're teaching your subordinate is to do the same thing to you. Yeah. There's just going to be times when you're not around, when you say, okay, this is what the goal that we have to accomplish. And they're going to just say, oh, well, I don't like that goal. So I'm just going to play the game. What? But we have to, we have to look and we have to say in order for this, this thing to function properly as a fire service, it has to work its way all the way down, up and down the right way. So we have to follow those directions. If we deviate, then we're not all going together down the same road and there's going to be a problem. And we're setting a terrible example, you know, uh, because not it's, it's, it's just, you know, funny to say, but you'll get individuals who get into the fire service and just to get in, you have to train like crazy. Fire mm-hmm. school is train, 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 train. Then they get into the fire service and the first year probation for most department is the same thing. Cause now what you learned in school is eh, that's okay. Now we Theory. want you to know how we do it. Yeah. Yes. So now it's trained for another full year on all the different ways we do it. So you're going through a couple of years of training. Then guys will get off of probation. And suddenly some people are like, I don't want to train anymore. Wait a minute. Whoa. Where did that come from? So you, you can't allow the individuals of their own opinion to decide the way certain things are going to roll. When the department yes. says this is what has to be done, then you have to enforce those things. You try to make it palatable, you know, so that individuals can, you know, take it or or you try to make them understand the importance of it. Mm-hmm. And then you just move there forward. But but in the end, I believe that they respect and they appreciate that you try to do something that you even yourself may not agree with. Makes a lot of sense. Now, in the process of becoming a great leader, it's often quite helpful to have a mentor. But sometimes that's easier said than done. There's not always a situation where you can easily find a mentor, for instance, within your team at a more senior level or somewhere. How do you go about finding or solving that problem if there isn't an obvious mentor for yourself? Well, that very scenario happened for me. And simply because I came from a small department. My department only had about 70 individuals. And so it was hard for me at times to find a good mentor. Yeah. So this is what I, through the years, came up with that would help. First off, you try to look for the good qualities in the individuals. So you may find a mentor in your department that doesn't have everything, but that individual is a great customer service. Well, that individual over there is a fantastic incident commander. He may be grumpy or he may be nasty or she may be unqualified in other things, but she's incredible incident commander. So you try to grab those kind of things from in those individuals and if you can. The other thing is you have plenty of books that you can read that you can learn from as well. You can mentor from that. I talk about uh, Robert Kennedy, uh, something that just very incredible, I thought. When his brother passed away, when John F. Kennedy was killed, President Kennedy was killed, Robert Kennedy didn't understand how to handle that. Very close to his brother, Mm. a very difficult time handling. He was the general, um, he was his uh, attorney general. And uh, President Kennedy's wife talked to Robert Kennedy and, and told him to look into some of these books. 
And Robert Kennedy brings out in some of his own writings that he, he read some of the old Greek philosophers on suffering. And that was some of the things that helped get him past. So here was an individual that looked back a couple of thousand years into writing, and those mentored him in a situation that he was fe- facing right then and there. So there's tons of things that you can do. You could read, for example, read Robert Kennedy's life and the things that he did. Martin Luther King, as we described, fantastic things you can learn from him. Uh, John F. Kennedy, those are three that I absolutely love reading about and I feel have mentored me in life in general. Uh, But I never met any of them, but I've read about them. So you can go to books on all kinds of individuals and read about their lives and things that they brought out that helped them. We have fire periodicals in the, in the fire service, magazines mm-hmm. that help teach you and, and you can learn from. You also have other departments in the area. So I, was, I worked for the city of Palm Beach, but then right across the water was another department, West Palm Beach. Then there was Palm Beach Gardens. There was uh, Lake Worth. There was Palm Beach County. All these were all different fire departments with different personnel. So you can reach out and try to make other friends in the fire service by going to conferences, classes. There's tons of classes that you can take where you can learn things, meet individuals there, train with them, learn about some of the things that they're doing, and you'll be able to find mentors that way as well. And then today you have YouTube, you have podcasts, things that we never had that you really can pick up a lot of gems from. Uh, So there's a lot of stuff out there for an individual to be able to get mentored from. Makes a lot of sense. So just to have a learning constantly improving approach um, and just welcome the sources that you can find that that uh, relate to whatever you're trying to learn or or the area you're trying to improve in now a big part of the fire service uh, comes down to potentially one could describe it as a love of the team, the work you're doing, the rescuing of the people, the actual w- work that you do in interacting with the public. But in addition, there is the community care side where the fire service will go out to show off the fire engines or show the kids around the truck or whatever. Now, in the book, you have a really awesome example of how the service can actually assist. Um, you went out and landed up having to extinguish a fire. And can you perhaps tell us the story of, of what actually happened there? Okay, I'm up. Uh, I think you're talking about the one where the stove caught on fire. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I thought that was such an excellent example of care for the community. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I yeah, I, I really enjoyed that story. Um, so we it was uh, Thanksgiving Day, and it's usually kind of a quiet day in, on our island. You have friend, people visiting from all all parts of the the country to their family, and most people are just staying in and watching football and things like that. Anyway, we get a call for a fire. So we get out there to the house. We and the smoke is coming out of the house and we get inside to make an attack. And it's a kitchen and the kid, the stove is on fire in the back wall. Um, and we extinguish the fire and you have to open up the wall to check for uh, if it, it, it went further. You yeah. know, the fire had traveled. But the town where I worked was all natural gas. So oh. most places in Florida are natural gas. They have electric stoves. But the town where I worked had natural gas. 
So, excuse me, part of our um, job is once we have something like that, we have to shut the gas off and lock it out. And so they can't get the gas turned back on. They have to call the gas company to do it, which takes the lock off. But the gas company won't do that until they make sure that everything was properly fixed by a licensed professional. So we put the fire out. We locked the gas. Right. (laughs) So we locked that. We put the fire out. We lock it out. And I say to the homeowner, I said, ma'am, I'm sorry. Here's the situation. She was cooking a turkey for Thanksgiving. And the grease had overflowed in the stove. It was too big of a turkey for the pot. Poured out in the stove and then it started on fire right up the back of the stove. So I said to a man, here's the situation. We put the fire out, but uh, you're not going to be able to use the stove anymore because we have to lock the gas out. So she starts reacting, you know, very upset. Her face changes and she starts saying, no, 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 no. We can't do that. And I'm like, I'm sorry, ma'am. It's not, you know, it's just protocol. This is the reason why I'm trying to explain it. And then she just starts crying and she just grabs my shirt and, and I'm saying, ma'am, what, what, what's the matter? And she's like, you don't understand. She said, I'm having family over from New York. Yeah, this is, we're down in Florida. And she said, we haven't spoken in 20 years and we just finally made amends. And we, this is our first meal together. So she starts crying. I'm getting emotional just telling the story. Sorry. <laughs> um, but she starts crying and I say to myself, John, how can you fix this situation? What can we do? What can we do? So I'm racking my head for a moment. Then I said, all right, ma'am, how long do you have left to cook the turkey? And she's like, I just put it in not that long ago. It's like two or three hours left. Um, and I said, okay, why don't we do this? Give me the turkey. Give me all the fixings, all the stuff that you're cooking with it. I'll cook it at the firehouse. And then I'll call you when it's done. You know, we'll put it in for the time frame you have, and then you can come pick it up. We'll help you get it to your house. And then you can serve. You can clean up this mess here and serve. She was just stunned. She just stared. <laughs> she just stared there and looked at me like, what? What are you talking about? What are you doing? <laughs> so <laughs> you I just repeated it. <laughs> I repeated it to her. And then she was just like, okay, let's do it. So we took everything with us. Thankfully, no lie. I, my driver engineer at the time was a gourmet cook. He awesome. used to watch shows, yeah, all the time. So, I, you know, like I said, if it was up to me, I, the, that turkey would have been burnt or, or undercooked. But um, we cooked it all up. It went perfect. Um, and we called her back. She picked it up. And I was, you know, was thrilled to be able to help her family, her and her family. And uh, Oh, so awesome. I mean, that is such an excellent example of going way above and beyond the realm of your service. I mean, you were there to make it safe and you made such a happy customer out of that. And hopefully there were some really good stories to be able to tell, if not on the day, maybe in the years after that. And hopefully it did bring the family together because that's just such a great example of not only getting the trucks out and letting people interact with the service, as I mentioned when we were chatting earlier, um, where I grew up, the service was pretty isolated. And in North America, I think it's really great that people realize that the fire service are people and they're there to render an absolutely essential service but they're also just really nice people and part of the community benefiting us in so many great ways so that is so good now 
I would suspect that within the service, and I certainly I've seen it in most of the companies I've worked in, there are a lot of people who seem to think that when you get promoted and you have a position of authority, it gives you some kind of superpower and you can now be a less than nice person in many cases or some other characteristics. What are your thoughts on what a promotion actually does to, for you or to you or for the benefit of the team? Yeah, that's very unfortunate. And we saw that many times individuals would get promoted and suddenly they were dictators, you know, and mm. they were almost ruining people's lives. And, and some people almost seemed like that's what they were reaching out for. They just wanted to have control. But to me, every time you're promoted up a step, if you can look at this way, that you have lowered yourself in a way for more service oh. is really all you're doing. You've opened yourself for a greater amount of service to others, including those that you lead. You're yes. not above them in any way. You're here now to service them, to help them, to help mold them, to help them accomplish what they're supposed to accomplish in the fire service and to help them accomplish their goals. And I, I talk about how service sometimes is a dirty word to some people. I'm not mm -hmm. your servant. I'm not here to serve you. Well, yes, you are. If you're a part of the fire service, that's what we do. It's called the fire service. You know, that's what we do. We service individuals. Yeah. And I always, I always say like the president of the United States, he serves the people of the United States, right? That's what we say in our media here in America. He's at our service. He serves the people. Well, I would not look at the president of the United States as a demeaning position. In fact, quite the opposite. Right. You look at it with nothing but, you know, uh, somebody in a, in a wonderful position. You look up to them. Yeah. But really, his job is a job of service. And now he has to ensure that he is looking out and caring for all the people in, the, in America or whatever country the leader serves at that moment. Um, and so that's how I would see a promotion. When you get promoted to your first level, then you serve that small crew that you're with. When you get promoted to the next level, you serve a greater amount of people. And when you see it that way, it's much easier for you to put those things about never lying to them, always doing the right thing for them, setting the example for them, caring about them. It's easier to do those things when you understand your position now is to service them and, and take care of them. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, that brings us to a really interesting thought is, um, do you find that there are certain characteristics or techniques that some people have that make them successful, where others seem to either struggle or fail repeatedly? Did you notice through your time that there were particular different groups of characteristics in people, either yourself or others, obviously. You know, what I think I found, Nola, to be one of the greatest benefits was humility. Because mm. if you walked in, what we just talked about in an officer, if, if he's not humble, he's going to have that attitude. He or she's going to have that attitude that they're better than everyone else. Right. But if you're humble, you recognize that you just took on a huge responsibility. And that requires you now to study, to open up and understand your job better. Because unfortunately in the fire service, and it's probably this way in corporate America too, you're promoted to a position, then you actually have to learn the position. Mm -hmm. You know, you know some things about it, but you have this so much more vast that you have to learn. True. So 
if you have that humility, and, and I was reading um, uh, Bob Iger's book, the former CEO of, of Disney, and he spoke about that a, a good amount, that here he is, 200,000 people, and he said, I didn't know everything that there was to know. So when people came to me and said, this, 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 and this, the first thing I said to them was, okay, explain that to me, help me understand that. And then no one would ever say he didn't do a great job. He did a fantastic job. Fantastic but job. he said in himself that being humble was one of the key components. And I have to agree with that because no matter what you bump into, if you're humble about it, even when you make the mistakes, you'll readily admit to your, your crew, you know what? I messed up. I thought this was the right thing to do, or I thought this was the right direction. Sincerely apologize. I'll do a better job in the next one. And when they know who you are, and they know that this is this is their leader. He's never stopped studying. He never stops learning. He's constantly trying to do better. And yet he's humble enough to come and apologize. Believe me, that draws them closer to you. They'll, oh, yeah. they'll do anything for you. They're like, no way. Don't worry about it. We'll never let that happen again. Don't don't sweat it. It will come up. So I think humility is a huge key factor. And in, in the book, I address individuals that you would never imagine, like, uh, Dick Winters, who was a, a, a pretty popular uh, commander in the Band of Brothers movie. Um, he served in World War II. And all the individuals talked about his humility. Uh, one of the greatest American snipers uh, in, in America. He talked about his greatest uh, officers were all humble. Uh, Jocko Willinks is a Navy SEAL that does a lot of podcasts. He's pretty popular right now. He talks about the value of humility in the officers that he served under. So I honestly believe that's a that's a key component having that humility. Yeah, yeah, that is really valuable. And and if I think back on all the really great leaders that that I've been around, yeah, I, I'd be inclined to agree that definitely was one of their characteristics that I think at the end of the day made them more successful because that was one of their primary characteristics. So I understand this is not going to be the last book we receive from you, that you're actually working on another one, which strikes me as a really important topic, and that is PTSD. Is it a big issue in the fire service, and what is driving you to write that one? Well, it is an incredibly big issue in uh, fire service and really all the emergency services. Mm. If you look around and uh, you probably hear the news, we've recently had some school shootings here and, you know, we kind of focus in on the police response and things like that. We forget that firefighters have to go into those schools and they have to pick those children up, especially the ones that are wounded and, and, yeah. and, and bandage them and take them up. And over the course of 20, 25, 30 years in a career, some of those things that you see and deal with, they, right, it stays in your head and you cannot get them out. And I saw that with a lieutenant early in my career when we had a baby drown in a pool. Ooh. And you see these children and firefighters have a lot of kids usually. Mm -hmm. and the first thing you do is you see it as your own child. That's the very first thing that happens. You see your baby in that spot and you can't get that out of your mind. And it really messes around with your head and you have to get uh, proper help in that regard. And it's very interesting and sad, Nola, but when I was actually editing the, this book, this one here, and I was editing the chapter on, on uh, mental health, mm -hmm. a friend of mine that I've been working out for five years shot himself and killed himself in the firehouse. Oh, wow. You, you know, and you would have thought this individual, I, 
you would have never guessed that there were issues there that were going on, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we have to get a hold of that because a lot of times it doesn't even start surfacing until towards the end of their career. And then after their career is over, stuff starts coming out and um, affecting them. And what I try to bring out in the book, it affects their families. It affects your children. Yola, they have studies that show that when 9-11 happened and pregnant women that were involved in the situation, the way that they addressed it afterwards affected their children later on that were born afterwards. So you have epigenics that also are involved in this. So it's very important for firefighters and all of those emergency services to really get a hold of this. Now, in this book that I wrote about leadership, I talk about it from a leadership standpoint. I talk about it as you as a leader, how to look out for your crew when this is going on and yourself. Critical. Right. The next one is going to be more about just focused on PTSD. Now, not from a doctor standpoint, because I'm not medically trained there, although all my studies going on right now is, is the medical field. But it's going to be a book about why is this so important for us to address? What are the possible effects that can happen from PTSD? What are the symptoms that you can see in yourself that are going on and others that you can look to others to see those symptoms happening? And then all the different treatments that are out there for you to, to go and uh, start working with. Oh, I think that's such an important topic. And I must admit, I look forward to to seeing the publication of your book because I do think it's it's excellent that as society we are starting to recognize that PTSD is a real thing and different people experience diff- it, the uh, stress different ways and but i would think in a service like the fire service the accumulated effect yes. must be in yep. many areas quite frankly catastrophic because right. our brain doesn't release memories so it just builds on itself and i would think i mean you would know even having retired yes. those memories and thoughts probably never go away no. quite honestly no. you know no. to a certain extent you probably balance them out with the good thoughts but the negative the bad experiences will always overpower those so yeah yeah, valid topic and congratulations on going down that road because it's a really important one so then are there any other thoughts that you have in closing perhaps anything we haven't discussed or something that we should mention sure uh you know this is generally fire service related the book but there are many business examples that I bring Mm. out in the book. So I think that really can apply to anybody who's trying to better themselves in a family, better themselves personally, because the whole book is really about personal responsibility. Yes. Even right. And so even in a business world, I think it would affect them or they can learn some valuable things from it. And I kind of wrote it that way because as I was researching it, I, it came to me that everything about leadership is about personal responsibility. It has to start with me first. The person in the mirror, how do I change this? How do I find this? How do I recognize my deficiencies? How do I work on those deficiencies? So I I think there's a good wide scope if anybody's interested in reading the book, it covers a lot. But if you're in the fire service, like any career, there's always ups and downs. Mm -hmm. And I implore you to never let the downs get too long. 
there are things I discuss in, in, in my book, my own personal experience where my chief slid his, my badge over to me first thing. You know, I got hired. I had this giant smile on my face. I was radiating two and a half years of trying to get into this job. And, and he said to me, remember how you feel today because you're going to need it to get through this career. I didn't understand what he was talking about. I was 21 years old. I was like, what are you talking about? I, blah, 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 blah. Just give me my badge. I'm so excited. Well, I would learn to understand those words in my career because there are times when you hit very difficult situations and difficult times. Don't ever let those times take you out. I feel this is the greatest job on the earth. We're helping other individuals. We're trained with the best equipment out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're here to help other citizens, other members of humanity and lift them up, make them feel better, fix their situations, make their family feel better about what's going on. It's an incredible, incredible job. And you really, when you retire out, by the time you're done with your career, you can really look back at some wonderful things that you've done for humanity. Mm -hmm. So I implore any other, anyone listening to your, to your uh, podcast, who is a firefighter, keep your chin up. If you're going through a difficult time, reach out to me. If you want to feel free, my, my, I have my website, www.fdleadership.com. Um, I'd love to help in any way possible. I can, I love the fire service and I love that you're in the fire service if you're listening and you're helping out. So, uh, I just want to leave it on that note. It's uh, it's a wonderful thing that you're doing. That's awesome. Thank you very much. That That is a phenomenal message and, and generally for everybody. Yes. It's, uh, it's very much appreciated. So thank you very much for joining us today. This has been an awesome opportunity to chat with someone who's written a really great book. I must admit, I read the book and I'm not in the fire service and I did, as you suggest, I did enjoy the, the value from a leadership perspective, just it applies unanimously, I think everywhere, obviously some parts are fairly tailored to the fire service. So very, I hope it's helpful and valuable for people within the service to better themselves and become great leaders. So thanks for joining us today. It's been an awesome opportunity and good luck with the book and your retirement. Thank you, Noah, so much. I really appreciate it. I love being with you. Thank you so much. The Unlocking Business Growth Podcast is sponsored by Protea Consulting Professional Corporation. We help our clients translate their operating and accounting data into the strategy for business growth they're truly capable of. Subscribe to the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify to hear from other companies that have overcome growth challenges. Get a free copy of NOLA's latest book, The 5F Strategy, Bottom Line Growth in Any Economy Without Additional Sales and Marketing, and download the Financial Growth Scorecard at proteaconsulting.ca. Work with us to achieve your business potential. To find out if we're a fit for your business, email info at proteaconsulting.ca and follow the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast on LinkedIn and Facebook.